We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And back on the show, Matt Brooks of Nets Daily. Guys, how we doing? Uh, I'll go ahead and, and pop in. I'm doing well. Uh, enjoying a day of, of causing absolute havoc on Nets Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I'm maniacally rubbing my hands together and, and saying my my work here is done. <laughs> Matt, no, uh, Matt no longer has the hiccup, so we can record. Yeah, <laughs> I had the hiccup for the first time in... I must have been 10 years, so that was exciting. You know, this is that's excitement nowadays in quarantine is uh, the hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. As well, this episode's brought to you by betonline.ag. But we'll be talking about Kyrie Irving today. And obviously, with the way the NBA season's going, it doesn't look like we're going to get a regular season anyway. So we're going to do a season review on Kyrie. And to kick things off, Give me a quick review of Kyrie Irving's season last year, Matt. Uh, short, but sweet would be the best way to describe it. Um, some huge, huge performances. His performance against the Bulls, where he just basically didn't miss for a whole half. Uh, that was exciting. The first game of the year is probably my favorite of his. Um, just just against that Timberwolves team, he just came out with so much fire. You know, he, he had the, basically a fresh start in Brooklyn and wanted to impress all these fans and my goodness I don't know if you there's a better way to do that than you know nearly take the game I mean he put that entire team on his back um and I believe he had he had 50 right 51 in game yep. one I'm sure. yeah so 
Um, that that you know, it started sweet, looked good. It was a little rocky as the team was sort of figuring each other out. And the sad part is they never really learned how to play with Kyrie. Uh, but he personally was excellent. So, I, yeah, that would be my best way of describing that. Yeah, Sean Sweet's a good one to sort of chuck it in there. But I guess if you want to be the, the cynical type, you can chuck in maybe controversial, maybe tumultuous. If you're buying into some of the comments that were made off the court and some of mm-hmm. the rumblings, the ESPN articles, the behind the scenes, all this BS that sort of came in with it. But I think on the court, you know, only 20 games, you know, in those 20 games, and it's only won eight games. So did Kyrie make the team better? That's the big question that was going around. Are the Nets really better without Kyrie Irving? A lot of really dumb storylines came and surrounded Kyrie Irving throughout his very short on-court tenure for the Nets. But, you know, when he was playing, boy, oh boy, was he exciting. You know, I was I did a little mini thing for Nets Republic where I was able to just go through his best and worst games. And mm. it was hard to narrow it down. And, you know, there was only probably one or two games that sort of made that worst games list. Um, but overall, his season was just exciting when he was there yeah i mean he was like an instant highlight on the court when he was actually playing and like matt mentioned like the start off the season with a 50 piece it was just crazy especially being there it just was like he wasn't missing shots he was carrying the team but again filled with injuries we barely saw him on the court and like jack mentioned there was definitely some drama you know off the court you know depending if you believe it but i think there's probably at least a little bit of truth to it for sure i mean he put the team in in a situation where he was the one who who started the discussions because <laughs> it's funny what this is all that 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 um this this little lay layover period between next whenever next season starts um and that last Lakers game. He was the one who kind of kickstarted all this saying that you know moves needed to be made and 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 it's obvious it's glaring. So we can thank Kyrie Irving for <laughs> the Nets community coveting every single player under the sun. <laughs> and and that that those comments were made for me after his worst performance of the season. In yeah. terms of, I took into account, you know, when the shoulder injury was happening. You know, there was the Denver game, the Jazz game, sort of games where you know that he was he was sore because he obviously did it against the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, Billy did a really good job of sort of pinpointing that sort of moment. So for me, I didn't really like the timing of those comments. I I understand, and like you know, the I guess if you're looking at them objectively and and from outside the box they do make sense you know the Nets aren't a championship contender right now with what we have and that's why Nets Twitter goes insane every single day just trying to come up with some third star trades or bit piece trades you know I know you think Matt that the Nets will probably just end up with Jay Crowder that's fine you know (laughs) We'll we'll add someone else to the list but yeah I think Kyrie's comments and leadership style sort of off the court stuff uh there's still plenty of questions about it and I think some of them are warranted 100% now moving to a more positive note what were some of your favorite Kyrie moments of the season? Uh, I mentioned the Timberwolves game. That was a good one. I got to bring up the Knicks game. Yes. That was huge. Um, you know, hitting this dagger in the face. Who, that was against R.J. Barrett, right? Yes. Yeah. At that point, you know, was in the running. I mean, what is this, like a three-game sample? Three-game sample. <laughs> but, hey, at that point, he was in the rookie of the year <laughs> running. He, he had a nice little start to the year, and um, it was just a big statement victory. You know, I think for a lot of people, it, it felt like, all right, the Nets are here. They're going to be, you know, I mean, not that, you know, in getting Kyrie and KD, they all already kind of had a leg up in a lot of ways. But that was a real in-your-face um, shove it to, I guess, the rival team across the pond. So that was that was a, that was a big one for me. That was the one that stood out to me. But, you know, I, I the first one is the one I remember really, really writing about that Timberwolves game just because of you could just feel the emotion and, 
I honestly like the moment where he actually failed was the one and in, w- w- in which he actually missed that last shot. Um, that was the moment where you felt like you got the most raw emotion from him. You could just tell that he wanted that shot to drop in so badly. And I think that that resonated really well with just about everybody. The real yeah, connection to the fan base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and we know he's a homegrown kid and we know how much he wants to be. Obviously, I don't know how, how much of that is just marketing or whatever, but I think there is seems to be a genuine connection with Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving and vice versa. Within that, Timberwolves game, the moment where he's sort of counting the defenders that he just laid down. One, two, three. That was an insane moment for me. Um, The Chicago game for me, because I was able to watch that live where he just hit his first 10 shots. And I was just like, this kid's not going to freaking miss. And he just, it was just one of the most insanely efficient performances I've ever seen. And that last shot to end the half where he just stole it and just yacked it and just got the three ball was just absolutely insane. And you know, I've been, I was lucky enough to see him a couple of times live here against the New Orleans Pelicans. It wasn't his best game, but still able to see some wonderful, masterful performances in person because he's one of the most exciting players you can watch, and he is worth the admission. And we're lucky to have him on this team, which is, uh, I know we'll probably discuss it a, a lot in terms of his health. Let's just hope that he's playing more than 20 games next year. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the Chicago game just pops. It just screams, like, offensive skill. Like, the fact he missed four shots that entire game and scored 54 points. Like, I I remember doing some research earlier in the year, and it was, like, literally one of the best 50-point performances based off of efficiency in NBA history. It was him, Wilt, and Michael Jordan. For people who have scored 50 points or more in, in the efficiency that they did. Yep. So that was crazy. Like you mentioned, uh, obviously, Minnesota on opening night, I think it was just like a big boost. And like Matt mentioned, that three against, you know, the Knicks to win the game, it would have really sucked to lose to the Knicks on, you know, the second game of the season after losing to Minnesota and being obviously New York across the pond. It's just like, all right, they got the guys and we still beat them. And, you know, we hear about it for like till the next time those teams met up. And even like you mentioned, Jack, against New Orleans, he popped too, 39 points. He had a lot of really big games. And then also just a consistent highlight. Like, there really wasn't a game this season where he didn't post at least one highlight per half. But talking about the season in general, would you guys call it a success or a disappointment? All right, here's my first. I don't know if it's a hot take. Um, It feels terrible to say this. Something about what the expectations were, because it's very easy to be like, oh, well, you know, we had these great performances. You look at, you know, the like, for example, like it feels ridiculous to call some of, you know, one of his 20 games, that Bulls performance, anything but a success. I mean, his stats were at his all-time best. Um, he put up career numbers really across the board. But what you have to think about is that coming into this year, everybody was expecting him to take the Nets to, you know, their 45 48 wins. Some people expect him to be an MVP candidate. I was actually one of those people. I thought that there was a ton of ton of upside for him this year as an individual player, as an individual star, to really make his presence known as the guy in Brooklyn, um, and you know, and just become this like franchise icon in a sense. That obviously didn't happen. He missed a lot of time. That's of course no by no means his fault at all. But because of the expectations that I had, and I think many other people had. I would say it was a little bit of a disappointment. I think we all wanted him out there playing a little bit more. You know, again, he can't control that. That's really just how it worked out with his body. But 
I'm just trying to judge what I've been given, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. It feels weird saying that, though, and like a little slimy almost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know it's a disappointment as well, Matt, and I think the same sense is because you know, how much can you judge a 20-game sample size and, and project forward and go, all right, look, we know how Kyrie fits around the rest of the guys. Now, how does KD fit around these guys? I still have no idea. How I have no idea. Like, in, I have some idea. That's probably a bit hyperbolic, but I have very little idea of how he fits with Spencer, how he fits with Karras, how he fits with Toy and Prince, how he fits with Jared Allen and or DeAndre Jordan, because I have 20 games to look at. And in a lot mm-hmm. of those games, Karras might have been injured as well. Spencer might have been injured as well. A question that is, and, and I also had him quite high on the sort of MVP narrative because I thought he bounces back, he plays 65, 70 games, and he leads the Nets to you know top five sort of seed, then I reckon there's a really big chance for him. Individually, this is obviously probably an irrational question to ask, but you know we've got a podcast, why not? It's quarantine, let's do it. <laughs> do you guys think that Kyrie Irving fit better on those Boston Celtics teams as the 1A guy or in this small 20-game sample size as a 1A guy? And in terms of sort of just on-court team fit around the Boston Celtics system, on-court team fit in the Brooklyn Nets system? Matt, you want this first? Which one is he fit on? Um, Boy, I like. I feel like I'm, co- I'm doing a bit of a cop-out. Um, so it's tough to say. One, like, are we talking about the Kenny Atkinson version? of the nets or are we talking about like the the version of the nets with kevin durant um i think like his fit with kevin durant is better than anything that we're going to see either this yeah. year or the year before that but uh i don't know i i actually think that like what he was in this year was was pretty good for him i mean it's tough because like the you know the second best guy on the team this year at least was a guy that played the same position of him so i guess i would have to say boston you know but I don't know. That's tricky, honestly. Um, I, I, you know, in both situations, it was a place where he was the number one option. And I don't really know if that is the right way for him to go. I think he needs to be on a team where he's playing with another superstar talent that he has a great deal of respect for and can kind of play off of. You know, he's like, I I hate to use like Batman and Robin because he's like the most supersized version of, of Robin possible. But he is like, he'll come in and, and you know, he'll, hit a couple of uh i guess like (laughs) like swift punches in the gut you know i mean that's kind of what he does he's coming at you he's giving you sparks of energy and that's i think that that is probably the best role for him so if i had to pick with the two i guess boston but i think next year we're gonna see Kyrie at his absolute um you know his his absolute zenith yeah, I agree with Matt here. I think obviously it's extremely difficult to determine based off the fact he only played 20 games and he was in Boston for two years, so he got a little bit better feel for that system. And I would say compared to this year's Nets, that Boston team was more talented. You know, across the board, they had guys that fit the system. But I would say in Brooklyn, they let him run pick and roll a little bit more than he was in Boston. I think he really enjoyed that. But also, like Matt mentioned, playing next to KD and not having to be that number one guy, I think when Kyrie's at his best. We saw what he did in Cleveland when LeBron was that number one guy. He ran the show offensively. Kyrie was able able to excel and really just had some huge performances when they needed it most. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a Batman and Robin thing. I agree, it's the easiest analogy to come up with, but maybe it's like an <laughs> Iron Man and Spider-Man sort of role. I like that. Oh, wow, that was good. good. Yeah, let's go, Marvel. let's go Marvel with it. Very good. That was an excellent cut. Well done, sir. I mean, I love Spider-Man and I love Kyrie Irving. So that's that's literally my favorite superhero. So it sort of works a bit. Um, Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, it is like the prototypical comparison. Um, I like the point that you made about running pick and roll. 
I feel like in a way, I mean, the the thing that's great about Kyrie is that he's just so good offensively that you can mm. really plug him into any really any system. So if you're running him in a pick and roll heavy system where he's got the ball in his hands a lot, he's going to detonate off pull-ups, whether it's mid-range, uh, three-point land. And then, of course, he drew way more fouls this year. And I think that's just because he was, you know, entrusted the, the basketball so much and said, hey, like, go score for us. Um, so that's a big thing for him. But on the flip side, they ran him a little bit more off ball in Boston. Um, his catch and shoot numbers were really prolific. They were again this year, just a, a you know considerably less volume. So I think that's just testament to just this guy can fit in really any system. It's just about surrounding him by the right pieces, whether that be more of the role playing skill set or of like the actual star superstardom um, skill set. And I think the point you mentioned about needing to respect the other player, like the fact Boston didn't have anyone I think that Kyrie thought was maybe on his level kind of hurt that whole, you know, chemistry there. But the fact he'll be with KD and he obviously respects KD and I think he probably accepts KD as at least a better player than him or at the same level. So I think that should help in terms of like on the court where it felt like at times this year with the Nets, they're almost scared to get in Kyrie's way. Yeah, that, that was... Definitely an issue. And another sort of fit question, speaking about KD, and it sort of just came to mind when we were chatting about Spider-Man, Batman, Robin, all the damn superheroes. <laughs> Do you guys think that he'll fit better prototypically and schematically, systematically with Kevin Durant or LeBron, or like he did with LeBron James? What do you feel? And, I mean, we can be biased here. We can be unbiased. I don't had, know how you want to tackle the answer. But do you think LeBron is a better fit alongside Kyrie Irving in a championship you know, led team, or is it Kevin Durant's uh, the answer? When you asked me the first question, the thing that popped in my head and met when Matt brought up like KD and Kyrie's fit, like how do you even stop a Kyrie and KD pick and pop? <laughs> yeah, that's I what I was thinking of too. And the thing that, I mean, what's funny is like there's a very good chance that we'll get a pretty, um, you know, and I guess a situation where there aren't too many independent variables in that there's a good chance the Nets have the exact same head coach <laughs> that LeBron and Kyrie, ha- True. And Kyrie had. So I think we'll get a pretty good measurement of this. Um, Jack, I know you were going to say something real quick. Oh, no, I was just going to say in in the sense that LeBron and KD are probably two of the best players that we've seen in our lifetime you know, since we've been you know adults and actually following the NBA. And they are still two drastically different players in the way that they play basketball. Obviously, LeBron, a lead ball handler, sort of, you know, essentially a point forward. Kevin Durant, sort of more the more prototypical offensive weapon who has some really nice defensive chops in terms of how he's developed himself that, you know, in that Golden State system. LeBron's still a nice defender as well. You know, both are different players, but I guess when you are that damn good, you're sort of nitpicking a little bit as I tend to be. Um, I'll pick one of the two. I, I could actually see Durant being a better fit. Um, the, the pick and pop thing is real. I don't know if Durant is going to, cause I saw somebody toss this around. It is a little bit of like, not a, a hit to the ego, but it is crazy to ask one of the, the two best players in the world, either LeBron or Durant to set screens, you know, on yeah. ball for another player. That is a big ask. Um, the one advantage is if, and it really depends upon who the Nets hire for this next coaching position, but if they bring in somebody that is going to run a little bit more off-ball stuff, um, Durant's got some experience with that. You know, he was in an off- an offense in Golden State that was 
very heavy on like cross screens, you know, very low, uh, you know, I guess like uh, uh, back screens and stuff like that. So there's a chance that it might be a little bit more of a congruous fit. I, I just think that, you know, it compared to like what Durant is worked under in terms of like coaching philosophies and what LeBron has worked under, I'd say Durant has definitely worked under a little bit more of like sophistication offensively. So yeah. that might play into it. I just think he's a little more like, well-versed he's you know he's traveled the land a little bit more if, if you want to put it that way with basketball philosophy and you yeah. can i think it's a fair argument to say that you know if katie comes back to the katie we saw like offensively you know he's probably more versatile than lebron just for the fact that his jump shot is pure like we're talking yep. about one of the best shooters of all time and i think anytime you're an elite shooter you just compliment players really well not to say that lebron you know arguably still the best player arguably the goat but he's playing LeBron's way, and obviously that's super successful, but not everybody fits well next to LeBron. We saw that happen with the Cleveland team after Kyrie left when they added D-Wade and a couple other names, and it really just didn't work. Yeah, LeBron is the system. You know, yeah. Like sort of Matt's sort of talking about you know, coaching philosophies and, and different sort of on-court on philosophies and, and game sort of X's and O's. KD has played it, you know, different, you know, under... You know, Scott Brooks in, in OKC, there was certainly a sort of my turn, your turn sort of thing with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. and maybe that could happen, you know, when we when we see Ty Lue or whoever else coach this team, you know, and that worked fine. They were a damn successful team. They obviously didn't win a championship, and they probably maybe under-exceeded, but they were very, very young, and I guess with a bit more maturity with both of these two, they know how to win championships and know what it takes. And I, I think... I'm going to be the LeBron stand here. I personally think it's LeBron James just because I think Kyrie off ball is like putting Steph off ball. You know, I think he can be that damn dangerous. I think he's a little bit quicker than Steph as well. And I think I would like to see him utilized more in that sort of setting. But, you know, obviously it comes down to whatever coach is implemented. And I think that when you have two ridiculously talented superstars like a Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you need to play around with it. You don't want to become predictable and you want to make sure you're utilizing their full array of talents in ways, you know, by putting creative lineups around them, you know, implementing different sets around them, allowing them to, you know, go ISO and sort of implement their own individual talents. So for me, you know, a head coach is obviously going to be important and that's something to discuss on, on different episodes. But I personally think because LeBron and Kyrie Irving have shown it, they've beaten the greatest team you know, regular season team in the history of the league. And they did it in a way that was just absolutely insane. One of the best championship wins in the history of the game. So I'm picking LeBron only because I've seen it and seen it work. And I think that it, it would work if we were to have a current version of LeBron in Brooklyn right now. I can't I mean, argue with that. You got the evidence. So, I mean, it's hard <laughs> yeah. for us to come back. I mean, we'll have to see next year revisit this on the podcast. But, uh... Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. <laughs> Talking about Kyrie a little bit more. What were some of his strengths this season? Obviously, we've kind of, you know, glorified him and his offensive skill set. What, like, really stuck out for his strengths this year that maybe you didn't feel before coming to the season? Um, so, I don't know if this is I, – I, I mean, you could say his scoring. I feel like that's the boring answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that – I actually thought his leadership was way better than I expected. I, I thought that there were, you know, he had that thing in January. It was not good. I, I just think he misspoke. I honestly do. Cause I was one of the hardest people on him, you know, on him for it. Uh, just the statements, you know, kind of going through the list. It just seemed like such a tone deaf type of thing to do. But I, I, you know, maybe he did just try to cover his tracks and a little bit, but 
I, I thought his leadership was pretty good. It seemed like everybody on the team felt good about him. Um, I, I didn't come away this year feeling like it was a really disastrous year for, for him. I, I think that he was perceived poorly at certain points, but I was expecting, you know, an absolute nightmare <laughs> just based on everything that I saw in, in Boston. And I just, I don't know, it wasn't that bad. If you want me to go beyond the the off-court stuff, because, I you know, it's kind of a tricky thing to get into. None of us really, really know unless we're, you know, wearing a Nets jersey in their locker room every single night. Um, I would say the way I, – I actually didn't mind his – and this is really, uh, I guess, a strange critique and, like, kind of probably a little too <laughs> narrow almost, but I kind of like the way he defended pick and rolls. This yeah. is a really weird thing to, to isolate on, but he – had the, he does this thing where uh where the you know let's say the other team's center sets a screen the point guard tries to go by he does this spin move around the yeah. pick Ooh. it's like one of my favorite weird nba um movements i don't know what else to describe that as so mm-hmm. i thought he was fine defensively he didn't really bother me that much I, the numbers don't really support that at all so Maybe I'm just falling for something that looks fancy, but um, I don't know. I mean, he kind of was as advertised in a lot of ways, uh, so I kind of knew what to expect. But, you know, I I think that the things that I was more worried about, the defense, the leadership, weren't really as detrimental as I thought they would be. Yeah, I think that you can certainly make the argument for that, and I would probably agree for the most part with it, Matt. I think that... Does no one remember how he shoved Rodion's crooks because he wasn't in the right position? <laughs> <laughs> or was it Rodion's or was it Janan? I can't remember. Well, it was, it was Musa. Musa. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I get my you know young you know European uh, rookies mixed up. Um, By the way, I, not the only guy to do that. I'm pretty sure somebody else did that with Musa last year. I, I mean, if I wouldn't was be surprised. <laughs> yeah, it certainly wouldn't be surprising. And I think for the defense, I would agree as well in terms of the pick and roll. Debut. I, I know on plenty of episodes, Nick and I sort of talked about it. It's like, you know, we had Karras and Spencer, all three of them were healthy, and we expect Kyrie to be the worst defender, but he's showing the most effort and intelligence yeah. on that end of the floor. You know, there's plenty of times where he just knows. Like, he's not necessarily the best defender, but he's one of the smarter ones because he just has more experience uh, and in different settings and just seeing different. You know, he just knows he's a smarter player. And when you're smarter, you can make up for your weaknesses athletically and in terms of, you know, obviously expending so much energy on the offensive end. I'm going to pick an offensive stat. You know, his per 36 numbers were by far, not by far, but quite easily the best of his career. And one stat in particular that just stuck out to me, and it's a very simple one. He shot 92% from the free throw line. 92% from the free throw line on the most free throws that he shot in his career over five. It is I mean, I've always complained about the Nets free throw shooting in a lot of ways, but Kyrie Irving is just sublime there. And I'm just like, please get the ball to Kyrie Irving whenever it's a late game situation. Yeah, I know you love that free throw shooting, Jack. Uh, love it. I th- <laughs> you guys are right, though. I mean, offensively, he was everything you kind of imagined. And I mean, if he doesn't get the shoulder injury, I'm kind of intrigued to what his shooting percentages look like. With the shoulder injury, he finished the year obviously only 20 games. 47% from the field, 39% from three, and like Jack mentioned, 92% from the free throw line. Not crazy to think that a 50-40-90 season wouldn't be possible for him. Maybe next year with KD's back, the efficiency will pop a little bit more. But like Matt mentioned, you mentioned, Jack, I thought as a leader, I was a little scared because obviously we heard all the stories in Boston. We even heard the stuff in Cleveland that maybe he'd be a little bit crazy. But it seemed like early on that he really wanted to work on that aspect and even like the connection to the fans and like his early interactions with the media it got a little bit worse as the season progressed and defensively I thought he was 
you know, confident enough where you didn't necessarily have to worry about him. In certain matchups, obviously, he's going to be undersized, but I thought there was enough positives in that area. What would you guys say were some of the weaknesses? Before we do, Nick, I mean, we're talking about sort of the off-court stuff. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From the online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. In hindsight, and obviously with some time removed, do you think that the way the Nets handled, obviously, the initial sort of you know, revealing of the injury and sort of reporting of the injury... Do you think that that is a slight more on Kyrie Irving and sort of being like, no, you guys can't tell him anything? Or is that more of a slight to Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson for being, you know, dishonest in a lot of ways? I'm always going to take, like, Matt's approach that he said he's going to cop out because, like, if we don't have a Nets <laughs> uniform on, it's really tough to say. I mean, yeah. you can look at the evidence in the past that the Nets were always super conservative with injuries. Like, they weren't, they're not always telling you, like, hey, X player's going to be back, like, Think about Alan Crabb from two years ago. We like were told that he had a bruised knee. He missed the rest of the season and ended up getting surgery. So like it's someone of the Nets, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Kyrie was kind of, I don't want to say difficult about it, but wasn't really like, hey, tell everyone what's wrong with me. Yeah. And I also think there's some aspect of like them actually not really knowing about how bad the injury was. Even the way it was kind of handled when he came back, it was like, oh, the cortisone shot healed everything. Then next thing you know, a couple weeks later, he's out for the season. Yeah, I mean, he has his own, like, medical team, so yeah. Yeah. I would say that's on him to communicate that if he's, you know, I mean, he's allowed to do what he wants. But in a way, if you're working with, you know, working with an employer, you, you'd want to sort of tie them in and tell them, hey, here's what my medical team is doing. So I, it's tough to discern, which, because I, the Nets have a history of not being super upfront about injuries all the time. Um, it did feel like, though, that this was a little bit more of a Kyrie controlling this than the Nets being like, hey, we're not going to tell you guys <laughs> uh, what the injury report is night after night. I don't know. That's just me. But I mean, yeah, it, it was I think that was a little bit distracting. Uh, and I, I mean, it's for, you know, if it's just that he's not telling the fans and they're keeping that internal, then I don't really think that's that big of a deal. If he's not telling his teammates and not telling his team what his injury status is, that is a big deal. But yeah. I don't think we're prudent to which one of those that is. So, uh, yeah, again, I'm taking – I'm pulling my third cop-out card or second <laughs> sure. cop-out card of the episode. I just don't know which one it is. So I'm yeah. not willing to quite go there yet. Jack, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think that it's a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. I think that it's frustrating just as, as a fan of the team – uh, but obviously, is that what Kyrie wants? And at the end of the day, I don't care. As a fan, if my, if the, my superstars and the best players on the team that I follow are happy, then you can tell me whatever the hell I, I need to know because I would rather make sure the players on the team who are there, you know, 24-7, they're the ones that are, are, are living in, and working in an environment that benefits them. Not a person down 20 hours away doing a podcast with a, a couple of cool American dudes. It doesn't benefit <laughs> me in any sense of the imagination to have that information. But, you know, as fans, we're the ones that pay the tickets. We're the ones. So there's, there's certainly a, there was certainly a frustration level. And I think that 
they got caught out. The, whether it's yeah. you know Kyrie Irving or whether it was Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson, they got caught with egg on their face. And I think that there was we sort of saw beyond that, and we've seen a lot this season in general that you know there's been quote unquote leaks more. We've seen more Woj reports, Shams reports, you know ESPN reports that we haven't seen in yesteryear. And I think that that's what happens when you have superstars and you know different teams and people around them that are going to leak to those guys rather than sort of keeping it in house. You know a lot of that news did pertain to Kyrie Irving, to you know uh, to Kevin Durant whenever there were little things popping out about them. So I think that. It was frustrating, and I think that it's a lesson to be learned on just maybe forthright honesty. You know, maybe it is is rich coming from the fact that, you know, Nets Twitter and Golden State Twitter were debating, you know, with Draymond Green about his sort of comments that he's sort of saying about, you know, Draymond, uh, Kevin Durant's lack of honesty throughout the year. You know, but I think that in certain respects, it would have just helped and gone, what is the detriment of just saying, you know, Kyrie Irving's injured here. We don't necessarily know the extent of it. It's a complicated injury. And they eventually came out and said that anyway. So it's not like, why wouldn't you just have said it? And I mean, if Kyrie's like, don't tell it or I'm getting Kenny fired. And maybe, maybe, that's, why, maybe that's why Kenny got fired. New conspiracy theory. It wasn't about all the, the veganisms. Um, but it, it's, it, it's, it's, I think you can't necessarily answer one you know, black or white. There's definitely shades of gray. I think you nailed it when you said it was a lesson for the franchise. Because like, you just can't do this anymore because you have superstars and you are now a relevant team. You know, last year when you were the fun Nets and everyone's like, oh, look at these guys. They're making the playoffs. They've got the rebuild. Like, no one really cares that much about your team or your injuries. But now everyone cares, especially especially going to next year when title contention is a real thing. Yeah, I'll put it like this. Woj has only got, you know, I, well, I don't know how. Woj probably sleeps for like three hours a night. So maybe he's got <laughs> Does he sleep? Let's pretend like, he's got, I don't know. Let's pretend he's got 12 hours a day that he can work. Maybe We'll go 11 to make my point even better. Uh, <laughs> he's got 11 hours of the day. It's a lot different when you got Alan Crabb as your main guy that you're sort of hiding yep. as the injury guy versus Kyrie. Exactly. Sure. Um, you know, that's this is what's going to happen. We all learned it. We learned the the, you know, how distracting this is game to game when it's Kyrie Irving uh, sort of getting his timeline toyed around with versus whatever, whatever player you want to pick in previous years. I don't Even just like the comparison to Karis LeVert for the season. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was more information yeah. about him and no one was really talking about like, oh, where's Karis? Where they really weren't like super explanatory about his injury either. And they're pretty much injured around the same time. Yeah. I mean, he had the exact same injury as a guy from the year before him. Uh, with with Dinwiddie and and you know no one was like well here's how many days it should take exactly based on previous like I don't know it was just not really like that I was like oh cool Karis is back <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like he popped that and I mean the Nets yeah. do that like they just are like oh yeah well this guy's actually practicing this week and we expect him to play by the end of the week it's like oh okay you couldn't have told us that he started yep. practicing like yep. no, that's ridiculous yeah I remember that last year with Karis was like oh by the way so he's playing in, against the Bulls I was like oh okay cool well uh, they posted a social media not- video <laughs> and he, there was like a little bit of Karis in it and then all of a sudden we were like oh so I don't know it's that's what I'm saying it's kind of hard to discern which one it is but you know what can you do Getting back to Kyrie, what were some weaknesses you guys noticed of his game? Uh, weakness, weakness, weakness. I am in the works, and I don't want to. I don't want to go all out. I've done a little bit of statistical research, um, but I, there's a, an article that I'm working on the next couple of days. Oh. And yeah, oh yeah, there we go. My, I had to have one vain thing every single one of these. these <laughs> I self-promote myself like a. 
like an asshole. But uh, I've, I've been trying to sort of like sift through this. I still need to like look at a couple of other like comps and stuff like that. There's a weird paradox with him. And I just noticed it just in watching and like the numbers are, are so far supporting this a little bit. Um, in the fourth quarter, he's so dominant offensively that it's by far the best option to give him the ball like every single possession. But at the same time, it takes his teammates out of the play so mm. that they're not really involved with the offense. They're, you know, haven't shot for two minutes and, and stuff like that. Um, and I'm just going off like assist numbers and stuff like that right now. So maybe I need to look a little bit deeper than that. But um, so, you know, you have this like weird paradox going on where it's like it doesn't make sense to give the ball to anybody else. But in giving him the ball every single possession and at least having him run the set, whether he's shooting or not. It weirdly, I don't know, creates a weird dynamic where his teammates are in a position where they just are, I don't want to say set up for failure, but I don't know how else to put it. So, and I, I think that I that's something that will probably be less of an issue next year with KD on the floor. It's going to be those two alternating, and at least there's going to be a little bit more of a flow of an offense. But if he either gets tired or um is just having trouble you know creating some separation against the opposing team which doesn't happen all that often but it happens occasionally as we saw against utah and denver um the nets are pretty much on his back that was the biggest thing i noticed this year i obviously need to workshop this a little bit more because that was the (laughs) most elongated way of explaining that but that's that's my weird paradox thing with him so far yeah i i think that boils down to some notes that i sort of had as well man in terms of his ball dominance. You know, he had a career high in usage in, in 32.6%, the, the biggest year since 2017-18, his first year with the Boston Celtics, where he was at 31%. So, yeah, a, a percentage and a half. But the timing of, of when he had the ball the most, you know, a lot of it was at the start of games where, you know, the games I remember a lot were when he was, you know, getting Toy and Prince some looks early, getting Joe Harris some looks early, and then he found his own rhythm. That didn't necessarily weren't the 50-point performances, the 39-point performances, and the 54-point performances, but it still led to a bit more team cohesion, which I guess sort of relates to the factors, does he make his teammates better? you know, and Or is he just a singular force that increases the level of a team? I don't think that's a question that can be answered after 20 games, but it's a question that I have nonetheless. And I think the defense, despite the fact that there were a lot of times where he showed effort and a lot of times where he was good. He was still bloody inconsistent on that side of the floor. And, it, and mm. probably more at the start of the season than when he came back. Because I think he was able to just get a look at, at what the Nets were sort of working with. Um, and the times where the Nets didn't have him on the floor, the Nets were a pretty damn good defensive team. You know, and, and especially this season. And to start the season... That was the biggest issue. Everyone was just like, Kyrie's so awesome. What's wrong with the defense? Well, I think Kyrie was you know, a pretty be- decent problem in that. I can't remember after which game it was. I think it was around the sort of Phoenix game. I don't think it was the Phoenix game where it was sort of said that, you know, uh, uh, an anonymous scout, I think it was via the Brian Lewis, is sort of saying that, you know, we just attack Kyrie in the pick and roll, you know, because even if he is trying a lot there, when he's doing that little spin move that Matt alluded to, it exerts a bit of energy when you're showing effort to work through a seven footer like a Steven Adams or a Rudy Gobert laying a screen on you that takes it out of you and then you get the ball and they hit the basket and you get the ball back and you've got to run a set by yourself you know I think that defense is still an issue for him yeah I think it's inconsistent at times he was just a little bit you know too risk-taking like he would just go for the steals and kind of come off his guy that happened a lot early in the year 
mean, I think some of it was like the defense wasn't having success, so he was trying to do too much. But again, like we talked about, he was okay defensively, but there's still always going to be the question about his size, especially if he gets switched on to a bigger guy. Like I remember it was uh, against Detroit. This was an early game in the season. They just consistently ran pick and roll against him with Bruce Brown. And yeah, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and Brown was just bigger than him and he really couldn't do anything about it. And Brown can't shoot. He was just trying to get in the paint and they were sending pick and rolls at like the free throw line. And that was an issue. So I think as good as he showed effort defensively, there's still a question about, you know, consistency and also just going against bigger guys. And like Jack mentioned, making your teammates better. I think it's a question. We can't really go into it yet because we got a 20 game sample size. But is he the guy that's making other people better? Or is that something we have to depend more so of KD to do and let Kyrie get more back into that Cleveland role, which we talked about earlier, where he's just a scorer. Like, he's going to have his assists, but his best skill, as we kind of talked about offensively, is when he's scoring. Yeah, I mean, so look, I and I know it's funny. I said his strength was uh, pick and roll defense. <laughs> he was also, some of his lapses this year were, you know, like things like getting backdoored and stuff like yep. that. I mean, he was up there. Him and, and Prince was another one, but I yeah. mean, like he he had some rough ones. Like if the if the offense swung to like one the corners and stuff like that, or or even went to the post, like he was definitely there was positions where he would get back to and stuff like that. So I think that's a good point that you bring that up. You know, there were aspects of his defense that I thought would be better, um, and maybe I should have seen it coming because you know basically his strengths on defense are what we've seen since the what like 2015 finals when he guarded Steph Curry really yeah. credibly on ball um but yeah the aspects of his defense that really were never that great still haven't picked up all that much and I think we can give him somewhat of a pass because like we talked about his offensive workload was so high we know how difficult it is for somebody to carry the team offensively and then be asked to do a ton defensively especially like Jack mentioned with the scout saying hey we're just going to attack him and pick and roll like, you can only do so much in a basketball game unless other people are stepping up. And I think maybe, I don't know, like, this is kind of going back to us not being a locker room. I'm not sure how great the communication was early on, especially for, like, guys not wanting to get in his way. Like, it would have been easier if he allowed probably Spencer and Karras to carry some more of the load just so it was easier for him. And then he could use more energy defensively. But obviously, he's Kyrie Irving, and his efficiency was crazy when he played. Well, I don't even think we have to be in the locker room to to realize that those guys had zero chemistry defensively. Every number yeah. will tell you that. Um, and it was a bunch of guys that were starstruck for the first yeah. two weeks. It, that's what it felt like. It was like, I don't want to make mistakes. We're playing with Kyrie Irving. and Playing stiff. Just, yeah, it was just awkward to watch. I, <laughs> I mean, look, like say what you want about this Nets season, but weirdly the least watchable part of it was those first two weeks. I was like pulling my yeah. hair out. Like I... I don't know. Like I, I, you know, I don't know if I favor one side of the ball or other, but I definitely notice when a team is, you know, not as good defensively versus if they're not as good offensively. That sticks out a little bit more on defense. I don't know why, but maybe and, I'm. And just, I, no, I think you're right, Matt. Because <laughs> a lot of the time, it's just the sh- you get good shots and the shots don't fall. And yep, you know, a lot of the time that did happen for the Nets this year. You know, we in the Knicks game where we had like 80 points or something. We had some good shots and they just didn't miss like 20 wide open threes in that game. Yep. Yeah, and and that happens. That's basketball. You know, obviously, you know that. And I think for me, because defense relies more on cohesion and communication, 
Whereas offense, you can just have Kyrie Irving. <laughs> you can have <laughs> Joe Harris shoot a, a really nice contested three. You can have Karras you use his insane footwork. You can have Spencer drive and just get contact. You know, you can have individual singular forces, whereas team cohesion, team chemistry is incredibly important on the defensive end. You know, you can have Patrick Beverly, Marcus Smart, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, but if you don't have three or four or at least, you know, guys that can communicate, guys that are confident enough in their skills and that on the floor, then you're not going to be a good defensive unit. Yeah, and I think rotations always stick out. Like, that's such an important thing in the NBA now because you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat off the dribble. You're going to be get beat in pick and rolls. Guys are going to have to rotate down. It's about making that next rotation to prevent the wide open three or the backdoor cut, and that was really a big issue early in the season. Do you guys think some of maybe the lack of cohesion or chemistry could be due to the relationship with Kenny Atkinson and maybe Kyrie not buying into his defense or just, like, not picking up as quickly? Ooh, that's an interesting thought. Um, God, I got to think about what the Celtics played last year. They were a bit more switch heavy this year. So maybe that was it. I mean, you know, the Nets were playing mostly zone, a lot of zone at the start of the year um, and actually running it pretty effectively. But they also played this weird drop coverage system. You know, the Celtics, I mean, they were running Horford at center. So that's obviously a different unit. It's going to be a bit more switchy. So, I mean, maybe it was it was him not buying in. It also just could have been a comfortability thing. You know, like we expect every, you know, especially for Kyrie, who's been in the league for what feels like forever. It really hasn't been that long. I mean, he's, you know, he's under 30. But, you know, we expect these guys, the, the older players, to come in and know how to play right away. But actually, like, it might be even harder for those, those guys to come in just because they have so much... You know, you only have, you can afford to have so much stuff in your memory, you know, in yeah. your long-term memory. So when you have years and years and years of basketball history, basketball schematics in your brain, you're going to have to categorize that differently. Maybe you're going to have a system that's kind of close to the one that you're running right now, but it, I don't know. So I, I think that there is like the issue of overlap in, in a sense is if you're looking at, you know, I, I would say more like for Kyrie and for everybody else for the Nets, because there were a lot of new players this year. And, and guys that have been in the league for a while, um, it was just an adjustment. It was really more of an adjustment thing. I, I, and I think defense is one of the things that Kenny did really well this year. I think Boston yeah. probably was more aggressive in terms of their defense, and the Nets are almost yeah. a little bit more laid back in this extent, uh, to the sense of like, hey, you want a wide-open mid-range shot? We'll give it to you. But we're not letting you get a three or a layup. And I think it definitely, like you mentioned, Matt, picking that up in the change. And you have to remember, it's only like a couple months you're going from playing with one team in April, and then next thing you know, you're playing with another team in October. And he missed a ton of training camp with a broken face, so... When you have Al Horford, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart, those are all three yeah. better defenders than the Nets have ever had in, since we've been doing this this show anyway. So that certainly lessens the load of Kyrie Irving and allows him to just sort of conserve that energy. In relation to the sort of Kenny Atkinson sort of relationship, I actually thought their relationship was really good. I, I think it, it might have been behind the scenes. We don't know. But it's not something I can comment on. And the things that I can comment on is when, you know, when Cope, when his his mentor and one of his best friends passed away, you know, the, the love that Kenny showed for him, that that hug for me is still a really heartwarming moment for when he did come back. You know, I thought the Kenny Atkinson and Kyrie Irving relationship was quite good. Kenny spoke glowingly of him, you know, despite the fact that you know it was a, it was rumored that you know he didn't feel comfortable coaching the superstars, and it was a reason why he wanted out. You know, but everything that we saw on the surface, which is you know what we judge it upon, 
I thought that their relationship was good. And you know, defensively, I don't think... I thought that it was more that Kyrie... It was the opposition coaches that were probably affecting Kyrie's defensive you know, acumen more because they kept attacking him, attacking him, attacking him because they knew that the offensive load for him was so high and that he wanted the offensive load for him to be so high. You can tell Kyrie just wanted the ball in his hands. You know, if he could have a Russell Westbrook level of usage, you know, a la OKC days in that triple-double season, he probably would have loved to have that. But, you know, I think he also realized that he needed to be the guy that sort of, you know, was the ultimate consummate teammate. So I think he was caught in a couple of different columns there. But yeah, for me, the defensive side had little, if anything, to do with Kenny Atkinson. I thought it was a great point you brought up about smart Jalen Brown and obviously Al Horford, just the defense. And I think like, their defense, like I mentioned, was a little bit more aggressive, but having a defensive talent obviously is going to make a difference when one guy's carrying the offensive load. But moving on from there, what would be your ideal lineup for Kyrie Irving? We can talk about next year's roster. You can give me a player that fits, or you can just give me a skill set, you know, like the other four positions on the court. Man, you, I mean, look, you need some defenders. <laughs> <Maybe that much. laughs> uh, yeah, you need defenders if it's, I mean, we know what we kind of, we're kind of working with um, with Kyrie and, and KD um, and and DeAndre Jordan. That's about all I can say I'm totally sure on. Garrett Temple, too, I actually would probably throw in the mix. So some defenders would be needed. Um, I, I don't even want to say three-point shooting because, honestly, if, if you just go over the cap and bring back Joe Harris, you've got about the best in the business at that specific skill set. I know Jack is going to love to hear that one. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what's the point in, in seeking after something when you've already got it sitting around on the roster ready to just launch threes on threes on threes? But some defenders would be nice. Um, Aaron Gordon has been thrown around Nets Twitter for two years, and I actually don't think that his name could be more fitting um, than it is now. I just, you know, that type of a skill set would be nice. Someone that can guard the three and the four. Just somebody that can guard the LeBrons, the Giannis's, the Kawhis of the world. You know, you're not going to stop those guys, but at least put someone in front of them. So that's what I would say. But otherwise, surrounded by shooters, surrounded by guys that are low maintenance, that don't really need the ball. Because I'll be honest, when you see these two guys play, you're going to want to run th everything through Kyrie and KD. <laughs> Yeah, I'll probably be repeating a lot of things that Matt said. Uh, another superstar, you know, we sort of mentioned earlier that he can't really be the 1A when it comes to leading a championship team, but he can certainly be a very good 1B a la Spider-Man. You know, defensive wings, you know, I think that goes without saying. You know, a form of spacing that allows him to, you know, get his own three-point shot and also drive and get his own mid-range and get to the rim because, like we've mentioned on plenty of occasions, he's a sensational three-level scorer. And a, a little thing in terms of whether it's, you know, a, a, a Kevin Durant or, you know, a, a big or a sensor or a power forward, you know, guys who can set some nice physical screens for him to get him in some space. I think that that is something that could... It certainly give him a lot of value. You know, if you've got, you know, I think Tristan Thompson was a great screener and a great roller, you know, uh, when Kyrie Irving was him in the pick and roll. You know, and I think that that is one thing that could certainly help. That's probably not talked about as much as the things that we sort of talked about in three-point shooting, defense, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you guys pretty much nailed that. I mean, like kind of Matt said, based off of what we know, we obviously know KD's going to be there. DeAndre's 
pretty much has a 90% chance that he's going to be starting next year. So then you plug Joe Harris in the other spot, and then you do want that kind of three and D wing. Maybe don't, maybe don't even have to have the three, maybe more the D like he, uh, Matt mentioned with Aaron Gordon. So the Nets, I think, have pieces to really capitalize. That's what I think, you know, obviously this is getting off topic, but what makes the trade talk so interesting because some people think another star is ideal, while other people think a supercharged role player is ideal because there are pieces there. A lot is obviously going to depend on the health of Kyrie and KD. Yeah, and you could even go like cheapo if you want to just be like, hey, let's just uh, let's just you know keep what we've got. You could bring in like I, I've said, Tory Craig for a while. I love yeah. Tory Craig. I, I think he's fantastic. Um, you go kind of like the more minimum level market and, and bring in somebody like that. So I mean, there's plenty of ways to go with it. You could either make a minor trade. I'm at the level now where I'm like, unless you're trading for a star who we know really really fits, I can get into Beal just because of his way to create kind of off the catch. Um, but if you're if, if you're not bringing in somebody that isn't like this perfect fit as the third star, whether that's somebody that has a role-playing skill set but does it as a superstar level, or, you know, is somebody that is somebody that's good with the ball in their hands and has made their career out of being good with the ball in their hands but has showed instances of being able to create in a more like auxiliary role, then maybe it's just best to go for like a little bit you know, of a, of a lower scale complimentary trade, or even just keep what you got, see what you got going, who has synergy with KD and Kyrie and, you know, and, and, and go a couple of like, you know, better veteran minimum signings. I, it's funny because the veteran minimum, I would say like market this year, I actually think is a bit better. I, 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 I'm just looking through it. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of guys that actually would make sense for the nets. Uh, Millsap, um, you could do like, you know, there, there's a bunch of guys I threw out Tory Craig. You could bring Rondé back if you wanted to. There's guys that I think could work conceivably well. And so I, I, that might be a way to go for it. And guys might take a discount. Like we're talking about Kyrie sure. and KD and the chance at a title. So, and even the idea of like signing the, you know, vet minimum guys or lower contracts gives you the flexibility where you can make a bigger move at the deadline. If that's what you choose to do. But getting on from there, what improvements would you like to see from Kyrie going to next season? Where do you think he can improve his game that would help this team get closer to a championship, obviously assuming KD's healthy? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, just like <laughs> like staying on the court would be one. <laughs> that feels like a super low blow, but like honestly, I you know, not even staying on the court. I I cuz that, that does feel like not you know, I, I think what I want to see from the Nets with him is I can't believe I'm saying this. This, like, goes against <laughs> a lot of my uh, my pretenses, but I kind of want to see them put him on a little bit of a load management program. Mm. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but because I, I want to see these guys on the floor as much as possible and build as much chemistry as you can because it is, you know, you got two shots to make this work. But that's kind of what I want to see. It's like, you have Kyrie playing whatever, like 30, 33, 34 plus minutes running everything through him and essentially exhausting him. I mean, right before he got injured, I remember talking to a couple of people and being like, yeah, I don't know if this is at all something that is sustainable game to game yeah. for Kyrie. It's just like, this is a guy that's injury prone. You're really going to just run him into the ground in search of barely getting above 500. So I would hope that they do either, you know, keep, sort of lower his minutes or or rest him on back-to-backs 
there's got to be a way to do it. I'm afraid he's one of those guys. So that would be, you know, it's something that he's going to have to sign off on. Yeah, I think he has to be open to it because, like, even he played through injury. I remember the Denver game when me, Jack, and I talked about it. He had the injury, and we're like, why is he even playing? Like, if you're injured, your shoulder's hurting, your workload is already crazy, like, take the game off. We're on a West Coast trip. Like, beating Denver at home is already a tough thing to do. And one thing that I think both of you sort of said, I don't think he necessarily yet has the trust for the organization. And I think a lot of that is going to come down to, you know, who is the head coach? You know, if it's Ty Greg Popovich, maybe Mike D'Antoni, but I think if it's Ty or Greg Popovich, you're automatically going to be like, okay, those guys can tell him, tell Kyrie what to do, and he will at least listen to them somewhat. Maybe not as much Ty Lue because we've, we've certainly heard of plenty of instances where he's just like, look, you know, you've got LeBron James on your team. Just talk to that guy. Don't worry about me. So I think that in terms of we know the whole coaching dynamic when it comes to Kyrie Irving, you know, the, obviously Kenny Atkinson isn't the guy to coach superstars at this point of his career right now. Well, we don't necessarily know that because we won't be given the chance. But I don't necessarily know who is it going to be that is the person that goes... Kyrie, you're going to have to play 31 minutes for these nights and we might ramp it up. You know, is he going to turn into Michael Jordan a la Last Dance where he's just like, you know, if we've got him on a minute's limit, then uh, he's just going to go absolutely batshit crazy for the rest of the other minutes. And, you know, or maybe we get him Kobe style and where he's just like, you know, all sulky in in certain periods. It is going to be a fascinating dynamic, but I do 100% think that there has to be something in place for him in relation to, you know, his injuries. You know, they are catching up to him. He is not... The fact that he's only 28 years old heading into next season isn't necessarily... You know, he's an old 28. He's a Jimmy Butler 28. He's a guy that's got (laughs) miles on his legs, injuries on his legs and arms and every other part of his body for that matter. You know, we, we know the shoulder injury. You know, as Christian Winfield reported for the New York Daily News, should have him healthy by September-ish, you know, that's obviously according to an outside source, not necessarily within Kyrie Irving and his camp. But I'm I'm still incredibly hesitant about, you know, what Kyrie is going to produce for this team, how much he is going to produce for this team. When he's out there, I'm, I'm pretty damn confident. And when he's healthy, I, there is no issue at all. It's just if those things can happen, you know, durability and availability matter more than anything when it comes to Kyrie Irving. And I think I put that, you know, in my National Public piece. That's all that necessarily matters. If he's out there for 65-plus games, you know, for 30 minutes, 32 minutes, whatever it might be, then I think the Nets are going to be a pretty successful team. Honestly, I don't even care if he plays 50 games in the regular season, long as he's healthy for the postseason. Like, that's all that really matters, especially with him and KD. Like, you have them both in the series. And kind of like you said, Jack, it's just like, there's no point in really playing back-to-backs when he has the injury history, and that might be an argument for keeping the depth on the team. It's a lot easier to sit Kyrie if you know, you're putting Spencer or Karrison as a starter that's replacing him, a fringe all-star guy. So, But I'd also say, like, defensively, playing his role. I think we kind of talked about it. He was a little bit – he was cheating a little bit too much, trying to get those steals, biting in passing lanes. Based off of the defense they had last year, he kind of needed to stay in his position a little bit more. And then I'd say, like – just work on complimenting others, you know, like helping impacting the game where you're making your teammates better. It's obviously he's not drastically going to tra- change his skill set in one season, but I think there's little things like you mentioned earlier on, Jack, in the beginning of the game, get Prince some shots, get Harris some shots, get them going so they feel in rhythm when you need to throw them a pass in the fourth quarter. I'm going to say something a little inflammatory. Was there one guy who playing next to him this year that 
you feel like their stock went up. And I'm not blaming that on him. It actually may be on the players that were playing with him and being scared, as we mentioned. But was there somebody that really upped their game next to him? Because I'm not sure no. if there was. Actually, I'm literally going, like, if we go through the names, Toyin Prince, no. Joe Harris, no. Karis LeVert, when he was playing with Kyrie, no. Spencer Dibbity, probably is the closest name I can think of. But I still don't think that he, you know, if you, we're giving him a pass, you know, I'm not giving him a full tick. I'm giving him, you know, a C plus if that. DeAndre Jordan, when he had some time with him, you know, I don't really think there's a large enough sample size because he was playing with the, the second unit when Kyrie Irving was healthy for the most part. Garrett Temple, maybe, you know, maybe Garrett Temple is the name. I, I really don't know. And I think that it's, it. I don't think that there is, Matt. Yeah, it felt like, to be honest, like one guy that stuck out that played worse with him was Jared Allen. It felt like every time Kyrie hit Jared Allen with a pass, he would like drop it or not finish. And it felt like he was kind of starstruck by Kyrie and the pressure really got to him. I'm trying to think of a guy that had a positive impact, but it's tough to say. You guys want the one. I just looked up the numbers right now on NBA stats, their two man data. Let me guess. He had. It's David Nwaba. Four guys, David Nwaba and Kyrie had a. I, I don't know. Okay, so that's, keep in mind, minutes total is 28 total minutes. So <laughs> we're playing with the dumbest. This is shouldn't even. I shouldn't even say this out loud. Without <laughs> do it, do it. Play. We love dumb shit on the Brooklyn Bucks. 26.4 points per 100 possessions is, is what that's they're great. outweighing. So they had an 85.9 defensive rating, which is like historically incredible, <laughs> which tells you how good David Nwaba was. Goodbye. Uh, the one that actually sticks out is him and Dinwiddie, which is what I actually, I, I was looking at this a lot throughout the year, and it was a number that stuck with me. They were seven points per 100 possessions better on the floor, uh, the, you know, than I guess like the mean average. So that is pretty sizable. The next closest was oddly enough, Jared Allen and Irving, uh, 1.4 net rating together. But I also, I'm pretty sure that coincides with Jared Allen being, you know, maybe playing his best stretch of basketball. Um, so I, I, you know, and it also just kind of coincides with Jared Allen just being like an analytics darling in a he lot of really ways. Is, yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, I would take that with a grain of salt. But who is fourth? Uh, Prince. So that's when you should be like, all right, we're we're done looking at. <laughs> we're done there. Yeah. That's, that's well, I think Prince actually played okay for like the first couple weeks of the season, so it makes sense. Yep. Well, he was shooting like 40%. Everybody was like, all right, this makes sense. Like that, I like the first week of, of TP basketball, it was like, wow, I don't know how Marks does it. He's shooting 40%. I was, I was a, like a, souring on him a little bit just because of like defensive stuff, but he was one of the many nets who wasn't, you know, like <laughs> rotating well and, and leaving guys open and leaving trailers open. So he wasn't the only one and he was hitting his threes, but um, yeah, I mean, he was shooting the hell out of the ball, and the numbers say that as well. Come on, Matt. Save it for the Prince preview, mate. We'll get you on there, all right? We need <laughs> oh, that yeah. shot for that. Man, this, that'll be brutal. <laughs> God bless him. All right, uh, final question. Where does Kyrie Irving rank at his position entering next season? Uh, boy, you know what? It has not moved after after this season. Um, I'm still probably going to pick him over Westbrook. I've just seen it from him. I know what it looks like in a in a final series. I know that he can score against the best. I know he can play exactly to how he wants to, and it works. So I'm going to put him over Westbrook. I had the best point guard in the league coming into this season as Steph, then yeah. Dame, then yeah. Kyrie. Nothing has changed this year. Not a damn thing. 
I the one argument I made or just as I was sort of doing the research as well, Matt, was that Chris Paul was freaking awesome this year. Oh, and obviously next year, I think, you know, another year under his legs. If he's in OKC, I think he continue he can continue to be incredibly efficient. You know, he was the best fourth quarter player in the league. And I think that there is a lot that could be said for that. So equal three A, three B with Chris Paul, if not above him when he's healthy. But you know, Chris Paul has been ridiculous this year. All NBA level in, in, in his caliber. Yep. I would have him third, fourth, however you want to put it out there. That's a great point. Um, boy, I mean, so the thing with Chris Paul is I, I made this reference today um, sort of in passing is that if he comes out, you know, and it's like not fair. I feel like I'm treating Chris Paul like he's like a <laughs> like a third year pro being like, well, if he does it again. But I do kind of need to see it one more year. I mean, okay. you think about like where Blake Griffin was coming into or like the end of last year, right before he got injured. This yeah. guy is like an all NBA forward. He's having this crazy uh, revelation as a player. He's he's playing out of his mind in Detroit. He's one of the best forwards in the league, period. Yeah. And then it's like you know, it all kind of cascades for him. So that's the only thing I'm worried about with CP, but CP has a resume, you know, out of respect, I almost just want to put him there at number three. But, you know, I, I think that part of making these top lists is whether you mean to, or it's a little bit more unconscious, you are going to take into account age and, and I guess the curve of what that may look like. And it is a little bit of uh you're prophesizing about what it's going to look like over the, over the years, whether you mean to or not, that's just going to come in there, that bias. So, Right now, that's where I would have I would have him over CP, but that's a great point. I, there's an argument there. Yeah, I'd probably go with Kyrie too. Just the fact that CP3 is going to be 35 next year, and then I also think they're going to probably look to kind of up the load of SGA. You know, Shea Gillies Alexander. I think he's going to take on a bigger role, and then obviously, like the older player is going to step back a little bit. Then there's also I know we talked to Dave before on the NBA outlet, and he thought that, you know, there's a good chance that CP3 could get traded if he wants to be traded just because of the way he's played. And to the Nets, apparently, because that was the name <laughs> that I saw when I woke up this morning. I'm like, all right, we're getting Chris Paul now? Cool, Chris Paul, Ben Simmons, John Bay, give them all to me. <laughs> you got an all-star appearance on your resume. The Nets are trying to trade for you. True that. One question before we end this one that I had for you guys, and I've heard this on other podcasts, and I wanted to throw it at, at people who I truly trust when it comes to, to Nets talk. Do you guys think that we've already seen peak Kyrie Irving or is there a sustained period where Kyrie's got a couple more years in him or can he go to another level? What do you think? Uh, Michael Pena at... I that's the one. His name. You saw that one on SB Nation? That, it was that's good. That's the one, yeah. Uh, very good article. There were a lot of things I agreed with, some things I didn't agree with. I do think that's an interesting question, though. That was the thing that I liked that he asked. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a little bit of a misconception from, like, the outsider perspective that, you know, he had this year where, you know, he, he was just basically more of the same in Boston. It really wasn't like that. Like, when he was on the court, it was the best he's ever been, ever. Yeah. And it wasn't as disastrous as it was in Boston where it was, like, personality clashes. Um, you just didn't really get that with him. There wasn't, like somebody like a, like a Jalen Brown or, or whoever that wasn't really, you know, vibing with Kyrie, I guess, in a sense. But um, it's worth asking. I mean, the biggest thing that it'll all come down to is health. If he's healthy, he's going to outdo whatever he's done so far. Maybe he won't be hitting the one of the most famous shots in a final series. Again, I don't know. There's a very good chance he also could. That guy is clutch as it comes. But 
We hope um, to see it. <laughs> I know. Me too, man. It would be incredible. Uh, but that would be the only thing that strips that away. If he's just another T-Mac, you know, and uh, weirdly enough, another Darren Williams. But that's kind of what I would be looking at. And I that's the only thing that would stop that. Because, I mean, the guy was out of his mind this year when he was on the floor. Yeah, I think offensively as a scorer, like maybe we saw Pete Kyrie this year. I'm not sure if he can really get much better than what we saw in that first thin of games. I would say the area that he can get better, and I kind of harped on this before, is just kind of making his teammates better. Whatever that is, is just like playing a better role on a winning team. But it's hard to say that he hasn't done that because I think all of us would agree his ceiling is being the second best player in a championship team. And he's already proved he could do that. And he won a championship against one of the greatest teams of all time. So it's like... The other, sorry, I'd really cut you off there. Um, no, like the other thing that's like tricky about that is like, are you looking at him statistically? Yeah. Are we looking at this as a success thing? Because back in 2016, like he was obviously, he was, a, a, you know, it, it, out of his mind, but it still kind of felt like he was just really like, we were getting a feel for like, oh man, like I remember he hit his career high against um, the Spurs yep, a year yeah. before, which you guys watch, right? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so he hit this career high. It was like his big like breakout game. So that's not that far removed from what he did in the finals. Um, and, you know, me and what I would be what I'm trying to say in, in a very long winded way is that there is a world in which he comes out. He lays the smack down next to Duran. It's an entire year of just like real deal, top end, top two basketball that continues into the playoffs. And those guys take down a team as as 1A, 1B in, in, in the Bucks or whoever, um, and then go to the finals and play one of those LA teams and do the same thing. So I think there is a world in which, yeah, he actually could raise his, his ceiling and just raise the general perception around him. He won't be just the young gun next to LeBron anymore. He's the 1B next to Durant that just, you know, won a freaking championship for a city that is, I mean, you know, <laughs> from both teams has not seen one in a very long time. And I think yes. there's even maybe an argument he was that guy in the Cleveland finals. Like, there were people that said Kyrie should have won MVP. Like, it's not like he didn't score in a crazy amount. And he was putting up, you know, 40-point performances with LeBron. Obviously, LeBron had the bigger impact in the series. But I don't think Kyrie was, like, super far behind LeBron in that series. Like, obviously, it's always going to be about LeBron just the way the media is. But if you really, like, watch game to game there, even in game seven, like, Kyrie had a giant game and he yep. was hitting tough shots after tough shots over great defense from Clay Thompson. Well, but I you guess did I'll feel be... like that was his series though, in a sense where he, he just made it LeBron. I mean, like it really did feel like a LeBron series, even in the way that they won <laughs> in a lot of ways, just by like baiting Draymond. Like I, I, I think there's a chance where, where you could be like, Oh wow. Like Kyrie just took over. And that was the Kyrie series. You know, even from a narrative sense, I, I think there's a world where you could do it. Yeah, I'll guess I'll. I'm generally the skeptic on the Brooklyn bus. So I guess I'll be the skeptic again. I think that for me, I'm I'm quite worried about the injury history. Like I, mm -hmm. I went to just to, typed in Kyrie Irving injuries, and <laughs> the list of injuries is uh, plentiful with a capital P. It, <laughs> it, it's it's something that when is it going to catch up to him? Because eventually it does. Matt, you mentioned the name earlier when Blake Griffin. You know, Blake Griffin is a guy who has been injury prone. But when we saw that greatness from him when he was healthy, it was, you know, he was one of the best forwards in the league. He was all NBA caliber. For me, and I think it's it's 
it's the scariest thing about this Brooklyn Nets team and the fact that we're, we're all in on this. And I'm glad that we are because, you know, you're in the championship race. But, you know, your two primary guys that you are relying on are coming off very, very, very serious injuries. Now, their greatness, individual greatness and skill warrants, you know, you buying all in no matter what. But it's not a guarantee. It is not a guarantee if you were doing it with a guy who has you know, a LeBron James or whoever it might be. You know, there are very few players who don't have an injury history. You know, I think Kevin Durant is one that is probably a, a generally a safer bet. It's just that he's had the most serious injury that you can probably get as a basketballer or athlete. Whereas Kyrie Irving's injury history is sustained. You know, he, he barely played more than 70 games across his career. That year that he did win the chip, and we were sort of talking about earlier, I don't care if he plays, Nick said, I don't play, care if he plays 50 games. He did play like 50, 55 games in that season, and he was healthy when it mattered come the postseason, and he delivered to a tremendous degree. Um, I think that the injuries, there is a high, or at least an above average likelihood, that they could catch up to him sooner rather than later. You know, 28 years old, having, you know, injuries are plenty, you know, for... <laughs> four-plus seasons, five-plus seasons uh, across his career. He is an injury-prone player. I think that we can safely label him as that. And that is one thing that does worry me that you know we have seen the best of him. The best of him is a very general concept. But for me, the best of him requires him being available. And I don't know if he is going to be available enough, like we sort of saw this year. You know, when we saw him, it was amazing, but we saw him 20 games, you know, that, and if that's going to happen again next year, is it going to be 40 games? Is it going to be 50 games? You know, I think there has to be at least 50 games and healthy for playoffs. Then we go, okay, Kyrie Irving's healthy, Kyrie Irving's at his best. But if we see another 20, 30 game season out of him, then I know that I'm going to be bloody disappointed. Yeah, I think it's that's a fair point, Jack. I think you definitely can be worried. You could also make an argument the Nets would benefit if, the next NBA season was postponed in terms of like it doesn't start until November or December because they're allowing Kyrie and Katie to get more rest. And I think when you just deal with so many injuries like Kyrie, you're trying to get as much rest as possible. And I think at times it's hard for NBA players that want to be so great to get that rest because instead of taking time off, they just continue training. Yeah, sure. But Matt, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, um, yeah, just I want to see Kyrie Irving play more basketball next year. It was very fun to uh, to play spectator to, and I just yeah, I'm excited for next year. I just you know I'll say this every time you guys have me on. I can't wait till basketball is back. <laughs> Damn straight. As always, a pleasure, Matt. Big thanks uh, for hopping on. And Jack, we always have fun talking Nets. You can find the show on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. 
all for an incredible value your wrists and wallets will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.